0: Welcome back to I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by the Bonjour Agency. This is the podcast for school marketing people that's nothing to do with school marketing because let's face it, you're working hard enough already. Now I'm Simon, former marketing manager turned owner of the Bonjour Agency, the place for school marketing managers. In each episode, I speak to someone in the sector and we don't talk about work, but we get to find out more about them as a person. In this episode, we speak to a Brit living and working at a school in the sunny Middle East. Patrick O'Shaughnessy works at St. Christopher's School in Bahrain. He's the head of history and he's very good at marketing himself and his own podcast. You'll often see him on LinkedIn. He's very passionate about his subject and that's why he's got his own history podcast, not for school marketing, but instead a fantastic subject that he loves. If you've ever thought about living and working for a school in sunnier climes, then this is the episode for you. So come with with me on a Gulf Air flight to Bahrain as we speak to Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Patrick, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of I'd Rather Be at the Beach. How are you doing today? Simon,
1: thank you very much indeed for inviting me to your podcast. I'm really, really well. It's a Friday and in the Middle East here in the Kingdom of Bahrain, that equals a day off, the start of our weekend. So could not be better. Thank you for asking.
0: Now, you're definitely a local in that country because you said Bahrain instead of Bahrain. Uh, (laughs) Tell me a bit about that, because some people in the UK often say Bahrain, but people in the kingdom often say Bahrain like you do. What's the background to that?
1: I guess it's just got a twinge of Arabic pronunciation. When you've been here for more than a week and a half, your anglicised Bahrain becomes Bahrain. There you mm. go. It's, it just happens. It just comes with the territory.
0: So tell us a bit about that then. How long have you been out there? And, and in fact, let's just dive into this for a second. How did you actually end up out there and how long have you been there for?
1: Right. I've been here since September 2014. Mm-hmm. So quite a stint. I'm entering now my ninth year here as the head of history at St. Christopher's School. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually come directly from the UK. Prior to being in Bahrain, I was at Colombo International School in Sri Lanka, where I spent two years. And before that, I was in my favourite of all cities in the UK, where I went to university and began my teaching career.
0: Leicester. Oh, <laughs> I had no idea what city was about to come out of your mouth, but Leicester was probably not the top. Not that I've got anything at all against Leicester, but but that wasn't what I was expecting at all. All right, let's go right the way back for a second. Where did, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Blimey, I am really now uh, ratcheting my memory. I was born in Lewisham
1: Hospital in South East London, way back in 1982, I guess, when Margaret Thatcher was still Prime Minister, for those that remember her. So I grew up, I went to school... In Southeast London, I went to a school called Kelsey Park School, which is now a Harris Academy. It was it was a pretty challenging school. I think it was one of the first twenty to be put in special measures by Ofsted when I was in like year seven or eight. And it was it it, it wasn't the easiest place to go to school, but I had some fantastic friends and some of the teachers there were sublime. I'll, I'll mention three because they really convinced me from an early age to become a teacher. It was Miss Miss Rogers, an English teacher, Mr. Lamb, a history teacher, and my favourite of all, I guess, mm-hmm. Mr. Rillingworth, an English teacher, but a bow tie wearing genius. <laughs> Unlike me, I wear a bow tie, but he was an absolute polymath. And those three teachers just elucidated education and knowledge and, and made it some of the best years of my life, albeit in quite a challenging school. So, yeah, I, I grew up in sunny southeast London. Uh, I went to school in Beckenham, but I actually lived in a place called Sydenham, which is where, for those that don't know, it's sort of near Crystal Palace, and the daughter of Karl Marx lived there for a little bit. (laughs) There you go. I hope I've done it justice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And if I remember rightly, Sydenham is one of those places, a bit like Bahrain actually, where people that don't live there or don't know much about it call it Sydenham, and people that that live there call it Sydenham. It's, it's a much shorter way of saying it, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yes. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a lovely place. It really is. In terms of transport and getting to London, it's not too far off, about 25 minutes. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's... Yeah, it, was, it was a great place to grow up, but once I went to university, I left and I uh, never really returned, apart from to see my dear old mum, stepmum, dad and stepmum.
0: That's good. That's always nice. So tell us then how you ended up in Sri Lanka. I mean, what, what was the reason for the move from the UK to Sri Lanka in the first place? Was it the sun? <laughs>
1: well, that plays a huge part. I guess one of the joys of being a teacher above and beyond being of service and doing duty for young people and helping is... Especially when you're a British trained teacher, there's a network, a huge network of British international schools worldwide. And it was actually my wife that came up with the idea, Catherine. She was hooked on the idea of teaching abroad, sold me the concept and all the uh, potential wonderful experiences that we could have and, and we have and far, far more. And when we were looking on Tess, the Times Educational Supplement, which I guess everyone's gonna know it's the it was or you know, is the go-to place for teaching jobs. Up popped some jobs at Colombo International School in Sri Lanka and we started doing our, our research. Sri Lanka hadn't long come out of its troubles by then, so it was still something sort of off the beaten track. So the when we arrived in 2012 tourism was just picking up but by the time we left in 2014 there'd almost been a paradigm shift simon in how sri lanka had oriented its economy it was pivoting on on tourism and and i guess the dollars dinars pounds started to flow in from tourism we had an absolutely fantastic time enjoyed every second while i was there working as well was an absolute joy Uh, the students it was lovely to have smaller classes it was lovely to have students that were falling over themselves to learn, and it was it was just lovely to be in the place. The only small gripe I had, which I hadn't anticipated, once well when I was leaving England, was. Air conditioning. Obviously, you don't really need it in England too much. No, no. But I realised within 24 seconds of stepping off the Sri Lankan Airways plane, <laughs> oh dear, there, I, there is something called AC and I'm going to need lots of it. And, and, and it wasn't in every single classroom. So quite often, I would finish lessons drenched as though I'd been in a swimming pool. But it was all <laughs> worth it. it. was It was a wonderful experience. And the chance to travel around Sri Lanka just before... The sort of mass tourism had had really set its claws and tentacles in is a sort of experience that money can't buy it, it was fabulous so whilst we were based in colombo every weekend we could get out to candy Anuradhapura, una watuna down south i mean you name it we we covered the whole island it was a, a real blessing and, it was one of those life-defining experiences that was, I guess, a paradigm shift in my life. It really gave me a taste for international teaching. And I can't thank my wife Catherine enough for suggesting the opportunity and I guess sort of selling it to me because it was it
0: was fantastic. And of course, now you're in Bahrain. Tell us a little bit about that then.
1: Right, in terms of our transition from Sri Lanka to Bahrain. I guess it was just a case of looking at opportunities to potentially move closer to home i was knocking on the door of the mid-30s and by then and uh, we were starting to think of potentially having a family and sri lanka now my memory is going to fail me here i think it was something around a sort of nine ten hour flight perhaps more will be people screaming at their radios and ipods they so, know it's longer than that but it was quite a distance and one of the things that again, you don't anticipate when you go and teach abroad is you're going to potentially want to go home sometimes and you're also going to want people from home, family and friends to come and visit you. And Sri Lanka yeah. was quite a journey. And then we started to look, I guess, back towards the UK and some jobs came up in the Kingdom of Bahrain and, and it was St. Christopher's School. Now, given the reputation of St. Christopher's School, it's, it's a really long-standing school in the Middle East. It's been founded since 1961, which I guess in the context... Of education in the region, that's a hell of a long time, it really is. And St. Christopher's, we did our research. A, a Guardian article popped up saying it was one of the 10 best international schools in the world. And the marketing materials the school put out in terms of you know how they would help you settle in, the quality provision that was offered, uh, it was just again hooked line and sinker you know it was a case of the decision has made itself so we've been very fortuitous in that way when columbia international school popped up that looked fantastic that negated the need for an extensive search for a job and it's pretty much the same with st christopher's the reputation spoke for itself the fact it was a sort of not non-for-profit school with a great reputation and yeah just it, it was it was an instant sell And again. This may sound like I'm being ultra, ultra lucky, um, but I haven't regretted a second of it. It was everything I expected and so much more. It's a wonderful place to take. I guess that's why I've stayed so long. And it's not only a wonderful school, but the Kingdom of Bahrain is a fantastic place to be and to live. Yet yeah, the travel opportunities are great too, because you're dexterously or judiciously placed between sort of Europe, the Med and and also asia and southeast asia but it's a fantastic place to live it's a fantastic place to bring up a family and again i'm I'm highly blessed i guess by the opportunity to come here and then stay for as as long as i
0: have it's interesting that you mentioned about distance because you're right even though sri lanka to bahrain isn't all that far in in terms of flight time but actually the difference between the UK and Sri Lanka between that and the UK and flying out to Bahrain I mean you know you can in theory fly out to Bahrain you know for a weekend if you wanted to I mean you know you could fly out Friday come back Monday and then have two beautiful days in the Middle East but you wouldn't ever think about doing that really for Sri Lanka would you?
1: No you wouldn't so Bahrain because I fly it quite often is about six to six and a half hours so the way I conceptualize it in my head it's like London Heathrow to Cyprus which is about four and a half hours and a little bit more say six so yeah you absolutely can simon and i'm guess there'll be there'll be many educationalists or people in the education world uh, consultants etc that regularly fly out to the middle east and to the arabian gulf for things like training cpd and can do it in a weekend absolutely no problem but again, you're right, Sri Lanka, given the extended di- uh, distance, and you're also thinking about things then like jet lag, not so possible for a weekend, but makes for a, a brilliant two to three week holiday.
0: Now, some of the people listening to this right now might be thinking, oh, I like the idea of working for an international school or a British school that's out in the Middle East. Tell us a bit about what it feels like to to leave the UK Well, before you leave the UK, actually, when you're thinking about all of those concerns that might naturally jump into our heads about the idea of going and living in a different country and working for a British school in a completely different country... What sort of things go through our minds and what would you say to someone who's kind of, you know, wrestling with some of these decisions right now? That's a really good question.
1: That's going to depend, I guess, to some extent on what level you are taking a job at when you go abroad. For me, it was to take up a a teacher of history job in Sri Lanka. So I was worrying, I guess, about the nuts and bolts, like what's the curriculum going to be like? What's the classrooms going to be like? What's the accommodation going to be like? Just everything in terms of What am I stepping into? Now, we do have the internet, and that's a fabulous resource which lets you do lots of preemptive, proactive research. But that can never fully replicate the experience that you're going to get on the ground, and it's never going to fully allay I guess concerns is is the right word that you might have about leaving because you are literally leaving everything that you know, love and hold dear. You're leaving your friends, your family. You're leaving the familiar context of home and your social life. And you're leaving your job i guess so the whole fabric of your existence without sounding too melodramatic you are exchanging um but you're exchanging i guess because you want to it's a choice that you're making you're not being forced into it so yeah and as the date gets closer to you leaving for your first international move you start to think about, again, the the nitty gritty, like, well, how how am I going to fit everything I need in my suitcase? Um, What are we going to do when we get to the other end at the airport? Who's going to be there to meet us? And everything i guess literally floods through your mind and when you have those sort of 2:30 a.m. wake ups if it's not um from the delights of your young children i guess it's going to be with things like that yeah, because literally you are exchanging everything how am i going to get a mobile phone contract um, how am i going to get a tv so yeah everything and and i don't want to i don't say that to put people off i'm just saying because it's it's a natural part of transition humans um, i guess one of the things we're probably naturally not very good at although we have to do quite often is make changes. And I guess the only continuity in life is change. But the move to an international school is a pretty big one, because you're not just changing job, you're changing lifestyle too. So in terms of what goes through your mind, everything.
0: It's interesting you say that. I was talking yesterday with Simon James. He's the incoming head or new head now at North London Collegiate in Dubai. And he was explaining how that in, in Dubai, you have to get an ID card which contains all of your information. In fact, he jokingly said it includes your waist size. <laughs> and I said, wow, really? And he said, no, Simon, I'm joking. It's not your waist size as well. <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing that. But it contains everything else. And without that, you can't do things like buy a car. And so he's waiting to get that before he can do a number of different things. So these practical steps he's working his way through. But in terms of the lifestyle, he's he said he said that he's loving it already. He really is. But actually, a quick question for you about Dubai, because I think a lot of people when they think about moving to to work at a school in the Middle East, they naturally think about Dubai first of all, not necessarily thinking about Bahrain instead. What what are your thoughts regarding the difference between the country where you're living and somewhere like Dubai?
1: That's an, another great question. I found exactly the same thing anecdotally when talking to colleagues and friends at home about, you know, living in the Middle East. Everyone does seem to think of Dubai first and Dubai is an absolutely fabulous place it's our getaway our five to two day getaway with the kids of choice and it's so multifaceted it's got a great nightlife it's got an amazing restaurant scene brunches hotels beaches it's i guess a bit like california meets london meets paris it's phenomenal for anyone that hasn't been Whilst it's not a cheap holiday in Dubai, it's certainly a fabulous one. It's it's got everything that you could ever wish for. And the weather is so clement, especially around sort of November to March. It's a great place to go for families and individuals. So I can understand why everybody's mind gravitates initially towards Dubai. It's huge. And especially in the education sector, new schools open at a pace in Dubai and, and also other emirates like Abu Dhabi. So... I guess they're a lot larger and they have sold a a sort of diversification dream that looks at tourism Mm. as a trade hub. So completely understandable. Now, Bahrain, for me, is the jewel, the unspoken hidden jewel of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. It's so homely. It's so safe. It's so beautiful. It's so calm. The people are so welcoming. Mm-hmm. There's a sizable expat community. And in terms of, I guess, sort of leisure and entertainment, we have expatriate clubs here. We have the British Club, the Dillman Club, the Yacht Club, the Country Club, which which are accessible on a teacher's wage and they're fantastic places to go to mm-hmm. spend time with family. So I guess that's one real draw of Bahrain. But I have never been to a place with a better restaurant foodie scene than the kingdom of bahrain it is just absolutely amazing and i was blown away by the extensive range of depth and breadth quality and quantity Mm. we have a large south asian community so in terms of south asian food it's there. southeast asian european because Bahrain is such a hub or an entrepôt for the global community. Literally Mm -hmm. every cuisine you can imagine is here. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I played a game with some of my students not too long ago, and we played the game of is there a cuisine that's not in the kingdom of Bahrain? <laughs> <laughs> One of them said, "Sir, all I can think of is Caribbean."
0: Okay, so yeah. we
1: did a we did a quick search on the internet, and you know what? There are Caribbean brunches, and there's a Caribbean food delivery yeah. service. So, no is there's everything here. Like, there, it, it's it's beautiful, and the beaches here are immense. There's obviously the beaches that are sort of affiliated to the hotels, and they are amazing. But there's also so many public beaches. It's a it's an island nation. We're looking at 33 i think separate islands that make up the kingdom of bahrain so you are never too far from water i mean that does have a downside i guess in in the blazing heat of july it does become a tad humid but the payoff for that is you are never far from water it's a great place to be and when you know it's, it's great for i guess singles and young couples that come here because of the nightlife scene and the things to do and the amazing apartments but it's also great for families because the hotels expatriate clubs the extensive range of uh, children's entertainment because ultimately when it comes down to it bahrain is a place for family it's a family island and this is such a great place to have children which i've done and then bring up your children i i i i'm so grateful that we've had that experience here because it's just such a safe clean happy caring collegial place to spend time and I'm very fortunate and another benefit of teaching internationally is that my children get to attend St Christopher's school so in so many ways I'm so 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 grateful because it's it's a it's a fantastic school from the age of three where uh, my son Errol is all the way up to the age I guess of post 16 where we teach IB and A level where where the sort of the rump of my teaching is uh, the length and breadth of it it's great so I don't have a bad word to say about it. It's a great place to be.
0: Well, you're selling this to me, and I'm sure you're selling this to a number of people that are listening to this episode right now. But Patrick, you're here talking on this podcast. You've got your own podcast as well. Tell us what that's all about. Tell us what it's called and what it's all about.
1: Yeah, it's called the Versus History Podcast. So it was born out of our history department. So we all, I guess, are on Twitter and social media and provide resources pedagogic CPD as individual. So myself, History Chappie on social media. You've got Elliot, Dr. Elliot L. Watson, and you've got Connell, at pro-historic man. So we're all doing our, I guess, school-oriented, curriculum-oriented history. And that's the raison d'etre of our existence. That's the, that's the lie motif, the reoccurring theme, helping young people to love history and succeed. But we wanted to, I guess, set up a podcast and start publishing articles. So have an academic trajectory too. So we set up the versus history podcast. We are 150 odd episodes deep now, which in podcast years is, I guess they're like dog Uh, ears. It's it's a lot. So we're really proud of the fact that we start, we got something started because starting is the most difficult thing in life. And, you know, and then we've managed to sustain it and also published numerous articles. We've got some books out there and we've had a great time doing it. And it gives us a chance every summer when we do leave the kingdom of Bahrain and go on our travels to enjoy the conduit of social media and take like one to two minute videos of anywhere and everywhere we're at and share a bit of history. So we've spoken to some amazing academic historians from around the world and some of the top universities, some of the biggest names in history have come on our podcast. And it's just been a delight to do, you know, podcasting is the great democratizing media feature I guess of our times anyone can do it and you can reach a global audience and if anyone's thinking about getting stuck in go for it it's great I mean our podcasts Simon aren't quite as polished as yours but um, you know you can get it started at any level and it's just it's just such a fantastic thing to do so as it's pretty much free why not
0: yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that. Um, I, I'm just thinking that some of the people listening to this right now might be thinking about starting their own podcast. And I don't mean that from a work point of view. This, this is not a sales pitch at all for people listening to this. But but people that have got their own passion projects outside of school, I think that, that could be a great opportunity for them to to think, you know, if, if you're into whatever it is, you know, maybe you're into, I don't know, dogs or candle making, or I'm just looking around here where I am, you woodwork, anything like that. You know, if you're into that kind of thing, when you're not in school, you can start a podcast in it and you'll find that there are other people around the world who are interested in that same hobby that you're interested in and okay your thing isn't a hobby but it kind of is because you're passionate about it it's your career and it's what you're interested in as well which is an awesome combination
1: absolutely right now as history teachers there's going to be some themes that sort of come up again and again and again i guess kings and queens uh, empire civil rights and they're all fantastic and brilliant and we love those but I have some niche interests, I guess, some anecdotal conduits outside of that. Like I brought up in, as I said, Sydenham, which is quite an elevated part of London, and that was blessed with a lot of pirates radio or community radio. So that was one of my key hobbies when I was a young man. We weren't quite well off enough to afford Sky Sports in its early iteration. So I remember uh, spending Friday nights and Saturdays and Sundays quite a powerful radio just tuning into endless pirate radio stations and i've been able to sort of research that and interview lots of pirate radio enthusiasts people that took part in that you know so via the podcast right so it's there's something for everyone i'm also pretty when i'm back in the uk i do enjoy a good bit of train spotting and purchasing railway Arna and i've been able to talk to people about that too i know that's that's now something of a, a vogue hobby because of Francis Bourgeois on social media. But it's, you know, podcasting, as you've rightly said, Simon, allows you to talk about whatever you want to whoever you want for as long as you want. And you can really indulge your passions. Um, You don't have to worry about being the pub bore because you're talking to only people that are, you know, tuning in of their own free will and volition. So (laughs) go for it, my friends. Get a microphone, go for it
0: pub ball i love that i love that patrick we need to bring this to a close in a moment but if anybody wants to follow your podcast online or find you on social media what's the best way they should do that
1: yeah my personal twitter and social media handles is at history Chappie. so if you wanted to follow me there great that'd be fantastic if you want to follow the versus history podcast it's at versus history on social media and my personal website is historychappy.com and versus history is you guessed it, versushistory.com. So yeah, if you want resources or to enjoy yourself and release your history beast, you
0: know where to find us. Mm -hmm. I love it. Patrick, thank you for your time. It's been great talking to you. It really has been. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Pleasured, privileged and humbled. Thank you, Simon. So that was Patrick O'Shaughnessy coming to us from Bahrain, where he seemed perfectly happy working at St. Christopher's and seemingly living the dream. Don't forget, if you want to find out more about Patrick, then go check out his podcast and or follow him online. Links are in the show notes. To have a podcast for your own school marketing, for conversations with people in your school community, to share with other people in your school community, then check out our website, www.themonjouragency.com and you can find out more there. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Our next episode is coming out soon, so click that option to follow or subscribe and then it means you won't miss out. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.